Well, good morning, church. Well, good afternoon, church. <clears throat> it's great to be here with you. It's been a long time since I've, since I've actually been here. You, you've done wonders with the place. It's, it's looking really nice. Um, they asked me if I wanted a, uh, a headset other than the pulpit mic so I could walk around. I'm like, there's no place to walk around up here. But um, such a br- blessing and privilege to be here. Uh, yeah, I, I knew Pastor Steve for, for many years and, uh, and uh, known Pastor Jeff for a long time. And it's, you know, I was telling somebody second service, I said, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting what happens when you teach at, at um, the church of, of one of your friends that's a pastor. You just feel right at home. You just, uh, there's, there's a common bond. Uh, just because you're you're good friends with the pastor, and that's how I feel this morning. So it's it's a privilege to be here. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter nine, as we come to an amazing portion of Scripture this morning, where we literally see Jesus's deity shining through his humanity in what is known as the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. It's one of the most powerful Jesus encounters. In all of the Bible. You know, throughout the Bible, you have people having these encounters with Jesus. This is one of those incredible ones. And it's my prayer this morning that all of us would have a Jesus encounter personally. That we would be revived and encouraged and strengthened and saved if need be, if we, as we just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. And so let's begin reading in verse 28 of Luke chapter 9, and let's read down to verse 36. Luke 9, 28. It says, Now it came to pass, about eight days after these sayings, that Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and went up on the mountain to pray. Probably Mount Hermon, um, because they're in Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is right at the base of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon's actually about 9,000 foot elevation. They have an IDF, an Israeli Defense Force ski patrol, uh, in the wintertime on Mount Hermon. Anyways, as they climbed that mountain and as Jesus prayed, it says the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened, as they were parting from him, that Peter said, Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things that they had seen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the hope, Lord, that is in this passage. The hope that you bring us. And I pray, Father, that this morning we would be able to see more of your glory in our lives, in our personal lives. So thank you, Lord, for the personal uh, application that you 
make to us by the teaching of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for that spiritual transaction that takes place from the, from the teaching of your word to the teaching of, of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so teach us this morning. Let us have ears what the Spirit would have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there are places in this world that are so glorious, they're so grand, they're so beautiful that it literally takes your breath away. A few years ago, I went to Alaska and just seeing the glaciers and the grizzly bears and and the open plains and the aurora borealis, the northern lights, or going to Austria and, and seeing the Alps and hiking through there, or going to Australia and seeing the Great Barrier Reef, you know, it's, it's hard to put those things into words if the person has never seen it. Even if you take an amazing photograph, it still doesn't do it justice. So there's things and there's places in this world that are really hard to describe. Now, if you've never been there or experienced what the person is talking about, even if you have eyewitness accounts of it, you're still got, not going to be able to feel it and, and know it in, in all its totality. And as we come to this passage this morning, this is one of those passages. I mean, how do you adequately describe the Shekinah glory of God that's emanating from the person of Jesus Christ? And yet we have the Holy Spirit who's going to teach us this morning and, and really bring that spiritual application for our personal lives in this text. And so as we look at this amazing scene known as the transfiguration, it's important to see it in its context. For every text, there's a context. So you remember what's happening here. Jesus had taken his disciples up north to a place called uh, Caesarea Philippi. And there, uh, you remember that, that Jesus asked the disciples, well, who do men say that I am? And then the response was, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're the prophet, some say you're John the Baptist risen from the dead. But then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? The single greatest question that a man or a woman has to answer in the course of their lifetime. Who do you say Jesus is? Jesus is saying, I want to know what you guys say, not the opinions of others, but what's the conclusion that you're drawing? And remember, Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And I believe that Jesus wanted them to say it out loud because, well, they needed to know with a surety that this truly was the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. They were going to go through a lot of things. They were going to be persecuted and imprisoned and beaten and scourged and, and sawn in two and crucified upside down. So they needed to know. And then Jesus would go on and, and he would tell them what he was going to go through in verse 22 when he says that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and be killed and be raised the third day. But you remember that the disciples, they couldn't understand and they didn't want to hear the third day thing because they thought Jesus was going to set up his kingdom. I mean, how about a day like this? Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and and Jesus just commends him. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven. And then Peter rebukes him. And then Jesus says, get me behind me, Satan. <laughs> what was he thinking when he went to bed that night? 
But then Jesus reveals to the disciples what would be required of them if they really wanted to follow him. And he says, well, if you desire to come after me, you need to deny yourself. Not live for yourself or depend upon yourself or be obsessed with yourself. But you need to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow after me. That's what's going to be required. But then Jesus says something here in verse 27 that has caused some controversy throughout the decades. And that is this. Look at verse 27. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. So the question is, what does that verse mean? I remember hearing a phrase concerning biblical interpretation. And that is, if the plain sense makes sense, then make no other sense about it. And the plain sense of this verse sounds like, well, some of these guys are going to actually live um, when Jesus will be living, when Jesus comes back in Revelation chapter 19 at the end of the great tribulation and when he sets up his thousand year reign. But we know that that can't be true because these guys died in the first century. So what does this actually mean? The word kingdom here in the Greek, it can also be used to describe royal majesty or, or regal splendor. Referring to Jesus' kinglyship rather than his literal physical reign on the earth. So we could actually translate verse 27 like this. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man in his kingly splendor. Now it makes sense because that's exactly what happened. Because in the next verse, in our text, verse 28, it says about eight days after these sayings that Jesus took Peter, James, and John and went up on the mountain and there he was transfigured. They saw his kingly splendor. So with the remainder of our time this morning, I want to focus on three things that we see here in our text. Number one, if you're taking notes, the information. And then secondly, the revelation. And then thirdly, the declaration. So the information, the revelation, and the declaration. So first of all, the information. What was Moses and Elijah speaking to Jesus about? Well, they were speaking about his decease or his death. And I believe also his burial and his resurrection. Now you remember that the Bible says that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. In other words, every great truth is established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So here you have Moses and Elijah and God the Father speaking. But you also have Peter, James, and John. It wasn't enough that it was just Peter. But it says when they were fully awake, these guys like to sleep. But they were fully awake, not just kind of waking up out of, you know, some dream and the the sun was out and they saw Jesus kind of in the sun and they said it was, no, they were fully awake. So, so we look at these things as well, historical fact, just like any other piece of history with, with eyewitness accounts. But I want you to notice in verse 30, it says that these two men Moses and Elijah, they appeared in glory. So they were in their glorified state and they spoke of his decease, which he was 
about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Underline that word accomplish. I love that it's used there because that's exactly what Jesus came to do. To accomplish the work of salvation. To be our propitiation. To be our substitutionary sacrifice. I mean, have you ever heard the term at a funeral? Well, they accomplished death. (laughs) No, he came to accomplish the work of salvation and rise again on the third day. I love it when that guy asked Jesus, what must we do to work the works of God, plural? And Jesus said, this is the work, singular. Believe in the one whom God has sent. Believe in Jesus. That Jesus died on a cross according to the scripture and was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scripture. So here you have, a, you have Moses who represents the law and then you have Elijah who represents the prophets and they're speaking to the very one who inspired them to write the law and to, to give these prophecies and he's the one that's going to fulfill these prophecies. I mean, it's an amazing moment here. And this is the turning point of Jesus' ministry. Because Jesus would come down this Mount of Transfiguration, and then he would go up another mount called Mount Calvary. It says in verse 51 that he steadfastly set his face toward Jerusalem. And so the cross was no accident. The cross was no mistake. It was the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God that Christ would come and die. That's why he was sent. It pleased the Father to bruise him. And so this is just another confirmation that Jesus is the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. So you have the prophets, Moses and Elijah, who prophesied about these things, speaking to the one who would fulfill these prophecies. So this is the information that we find here in the text. They were talking about his death. And what you do with that information is vital to your salvation. It's vital. What you do with that information plays a critical part in your eternal destination. And if there's anyone here this morning and you haven't taken the information of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and applied it by faith, well, you need to so that you might be saved. Saved from what? What do I need saving from? From your sin. From the guilt, from the condemnation, from the past. That there would be a new thing. That the Lord does a new thing. He even, he even makes rivers in the desert. I mean, he's the one that brings life. And I pray that if you have never received of the living water, the bread of life, that you would receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning. And if you have, then we need to take this information to a lost and dying world. And I pray that, that God would just do that in us so that, well, people would get saved even this week, that we would share this information. So we have the information, but not only the information, but now secondly, the revelation. What does the transfiguration of Jesus Christ reveal to us? Well, a lot more things that I have time, that, that I, I don't have time to, to say all the things that it reveals. But let me just give you a few of these things. 
First of all, it reveals that there is life after death. You know, Moses or Elijah has been dead up to this point 800 years. Moses has been dead 1,200 years. But here they are. Moses is Moses. Elijah is Elijah. When they appeared on this mountain in, in their glorified state, they were uh, continued personalities. You know, when, when we die and we, we go to heaven, our, our personalities will continue. You might be saying, oh, really? That's a bummer. I want to be changed. You are going to be changed, yes. But you will still have the same personality. You, you, will, you, will, you will be known as, as you are, but, but changed. You're not going to come back. You don't come back as a butterfly or a cow or a samurai warrior or a guru. If you're really good on earth, you don't get wings in heaven and become angels. There's no such thing as soul sleep. It's appointed once for a man to die and then comes the judgment. And it is interesting that Peter knew that this was Moses and Elijah. How did he know? I don't know. I mean, there's no record of any formal introduction where Jesus is saying, Hey, Moses, meet Peter, Peter, Moses, Moses, Elijah, or Peter, Elijah. No, it just, maybe they just knew. I, I don't know. It, they just knew. I mean, Paul alludes to that in heaven. I think we're just going to know. Right now we see through a mirror dimly, but then face to face now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. And so the Bible doesn't just state that there is life after death. It shows us that there's life after death, even here in this passage with Moses and Elijah. A second reason or revelation for the transfiguration, I believe, was to reveal to the disciples the heavenly glory that Jesus laid aside to come to this earth. Notice in verse 28, it says, As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. In Matthew's gospel, it says that he was transfigured. In the Greek, that's where we get the word metamorphosis. Like a little caterpillar going into the cocoon, and a metamorphosis takes place, and he becomes a butterfly. That specified complexity of information that was pre-programmed into that little caterpillar's DNA, just like your DNA, it was all planned that he would metamorphosize into a butterfly. Now, Paul nailed it when he said, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh, but it but Matthew's gospel tells us he was transfigured. He was metamorphosized and his face shone like the sun and his clothing became white as the light. Mark's account of it, he says that his clothing was shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on the earth can whiten them. It'd be a great Tide commercial or something. I mean, it was, as, it was the whitest white you can possibly imagine. And it seems like the, the gospel writers are struggling with trying to put this whole thing into human language. And, and rightly so. I mean, how do you describe this? And this light that was shining from Christ, 
It's almost as if Jesus was just pulling back the veil a little bit and saying, look who I am. I'm God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. It wasn't a light shining on him. It was illuminating from him. He is the source of that light. And we are all going to have a mount of transfiguration experience in heaven every day. But it's not going to be every day. It's just going to be one long eternal day. Because the Bible says in the book of Revelation that the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated illuminated it. The Lamb is the light thereof. And yet Jesus, he laid aside that glory. You remember in Jesus' what we call the high priestly prayer... In, in John 17, 5, Jesus said to the Father, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So Jesus didn't just deny himself at the cross, but Jesus had that, well, he was servant. He denied himself from eternity past, knowing that he would come. And lay down that glory. Not his deity. So what's the personal application for us? As he wants to reveal through this transfiguration. What glory he laid aside to come to this earth. Well Paul tells us in Philippians 2. When he says. Let this mind be in you. Which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation taking the form of a servant. And coming in the likeness of of sinful man. He was found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. And there is the challenge for every one of us. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Being a servant. Going back to what Jesus said, denying yourself and taking up your cross daily. He was equal with the Father. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with the Father. What does that mean? Remember Michael Jordan? Greatest basketball player. Believed to be alive still today. Imagine if I said, hey, I'm as good as Michael Jordan. I play basketball as well as Michael Jordan. You would... Laugh me out of this place. But what if I really did? What if I could go one-on-one with Michael? And we'd tie. Well then, I wouldn't consider it robbery to be equal with Michael Jordan. Because Michael Harris is as good as Michael Jordan. I wouldn't be taking away from his amazing ability and so Jesus equal with the father but not did did not consider robbery to be equal with the father he was in the form of God and he was in the form of a servant which means he always was God and he always was servant and therefore Because he laid aside his glory for me and you. Well, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
But there's something else that I want us to see here that's very practical for our life. And it's found in verse 28. And it says, as he prayed. Would you underline that, circle it, highlight it? As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered. It's interesting that out of all the gospel writers, Luke stresses Jesus' humanity more than any other. And Luke stresses the fact that Jesus prayed more than any other gospel. And thus, if the Son of God, the pre-existent eternal Son of God, who was spotless, needed to pray with the Father, how much more we who are feeble and weak need to seek the Lord. But notice what it says. While he prayed, his, his countenance was altered. While he prayed, his countenance was altered. Why do we pray? Because we're commanded to? Because we're invited to by the Lord? Because we want to know the will of God? Because we want to draw close to Him? But another reason why we are called to pray is because of what prayer does to us. What happens to us when we truly come into the presence of God and spend time communing with the God who is light, the God who is holy, the God who is the one that, that brings life, who breathes life into us. What happens to us? We are transformed. Oh no, we won't be glowing like Jesus. Oh, but you know what I'm talking about. We are going to be transformed. A metamorphosized experience. A metamorphosis takes place. We have a change of perspective in our trial. We have a change of perspective toward the one whom we're having a very difficult time with. We have a change. There, there's, there's something that, that happens. And what we truly need is a real Jesus experience. What we need is a continual Jesus experience. What we need to see is more of God's glory in our life. As we climb the mountain, if you will. These guys climbed a mountain to pray. And as we climb the mountain in prayer. And, and it says that, well, they were asleep, these guys. They always like to sleep. But when they were fully awake, they saw his glory. God, wake us up, if need be, out of a spiritual slumber. Wake us up, because we're going to see the glory of God in our life. No, I don't, I don't mean that we're going to see him shining like that. But in your personal life, you're going to see the glory of God. What does that mean? That I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see more of Jesus? Well, sure you will. He will reveal more of himself in his word as you pray, as you, as you seek him through his word. A good thing to do is read the word and pray. Slow it down. Just take one verse and pick it apart in prayer. But, but you're going to see glory in your life. What do you mean? Just I mean, in the littlest of things. My wife's not here this morning, and it's not on the radio, so I'm a safe. But, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I still work construction and, and I'll wake up every morning at four o'clock and, you know, and, and, and 
Sometimes I try and tippy-toe so she can't hear me, but then I'll get caught as I'm changing, and she'll go, can, can you rub my feet? And um, I'm like, hold on, and, and I'll, I'll go downstairs. I'm going to make my lunch. And in my mind, I'm like, she gets to lay in bed. I'm getting up. I'm getting, I'm getting my lunch already. She should have my lunch already. I'm getting, I should get my feet rubbed right now. Why isn't she rubbing my feet? And, and then I'll just, I'll just pray. And I, Lord, just, you know, change my heart. Now, it's not only rubbing the feet, but my wife, she likes lotion on her feet. I despise lotion. I cannot handle lotion. I don't like it. There's something about the texture of it. I just stay away from lotion. And so it's just murder for me. But when I just quickly tune into the Lord and I think about the glory that he left and I think about who he is and who I'm to be and I pray, you know what happens? I go upstairs How's that, honey? I know what's happening in her mind. You know what's happening as she sits there quietly? Wow. He put lotion on his hands, and he's actually rubbing my feet at four in the morning. What's up? I see the glory of God. What do you mean? I see victory. I see servanthood. And you know what? She's thinking, wow, God's doing something. Thank you, Lord. I mean, that's just one little part of the day. That's just the first 10 minutes of the day. And then you get to work, and then you call somebody. And and you start walking in the Spirit, and you start communing with the Lord, and you're going to see glorious things, and you're going to contribute it to Him. And Lord, I'm just seeing you all throughout my day. And you know what? The people in my sphere of influence they are going to see my good works and glorify my Father which is in heaven. And we're going to see God's glory more and more in our own personal experience, in our own heart. My heart toward the people that I have a hard time with, the unforgiveness, the bitterness. And I'm going to see victory as well. I'm going to see victory as well. The glory of God as you spend that time with God, a holy God that, that calls us to be holy. And if you're not, you're going you're gonna to go, you're going to go into it. If, if you're not communing with God, it's so easy to live a double life. I know by experience. I know what it means to start living by your emotions and building up walls against your spouse and building up walls against people. And when you start building any walls in your heart and your mind, it's also a wall that doesn't allow the voice of God's Holy Spirit to speak to your hearts. And I'll tell you what, your wall will fall down when you crash. And the sad thing is when you finally see the bricks that are scattered all around you and you're in a heap of rubble because, well, your, your wall fell down. You're going to realize I built a wall against all these people and each brick was not about them. It was about me not dealing with it correctly. And I built a wall of bitterness and anger and frustration, which then led me to 
justify what I was doing, and now my life's a wreck, and I don't have anybody to point the finger at except me. It's heartbreak. And so, oh, how we need to find Jesus, to have an encounter with him, to climb the mountain so that your appearance is altered. Your appearance will be different. I, I'm serious. Even your physical look, you'll, they'll, they'll see Jesus in your eyes again. They will see joy. They will see peace. They will see contentment. We miss out on so much. And we're going to miss out on the information and the revelation and the declaration in our life. What do you mean? There's information that God wants to communicate to you, not just the logos, the written word, but that rhema word straight from heaven to your heart for your situation. You're going to miss out on that unless you climb the mountain and seek God. Until you pray, you're not going to be transformed. And you're going to miss out on the revelation of seeing God's glory in your life. And you're going to miss out on the declaration. What do you mean? On the declaration of God's promises in your life. Because all the doubt and all the fear and the condemnation and the world and all of it, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes of pride of life, it's going to crowd out those, those promises of God. But when I seek him, I get that information. I get the revelation and the illumination of his Holy Spirit. And I, I get God's declaration over me and as, as I'm reminded of his promises, his word to my heart. And whether you get what you're asking for in prayer or you see the changes that you want, that doesn't matter. The fact is, the act of prayer, we're going to be changed There's going to be a change of perspective. There's going to be a transformation. One writer said this, Men who know their God are before anything else men who pray. And the first point where their zeal and energy for God's glory come to expression is in their prayers. If there is little energy for such prayer and little practice of it, this is a sure sign that as yet we scarcely know our God and can scarcely see his glory in our life. And we're just missing out. We're missing out. Now, you're sitting here and you're like, "Ah, I need to pray more. I need to seek God more. And isn't the the spirit willing, but the flesh is so weak. My flesh is so incredibly weak. It's, it's, I apologize. (laughs) Lord, I'm sorry. My flesh is so incredibly weak. It's a joke. And yet, my flesh is so incredibly powerful. It will dictate to me what, what, what I should do. But I know, you know, you want to pray, but you get busy, you get distracted. And I'm not faulting these guys for always falling asleep. Because, I mean, I fall asleep. I mean, you know, those people that say they have devotions at night... I don't really believe you because, especially if you're over 40, you're just conked out. Who needs a sleeping pill? Just read your Bible and you'll be out in two seconds. I mean, isn't it true? So have your devotions in the morning. It's better. All joking aside, it's, it, the, the flesh is weak. And, and we're just, we're just going to miss out. But these guys, they woke up, right? 
They woke up and it's when they, that's when they saw his glory. And some of us need to wake up. Lord, wake us up. Wake us up out of a, a spiritual slumber in our life right now. And maybe you need to wake up out of the fog of sin that you're in. Because you are in a, you are in a place where you, it's so, it's just, you need God to just burn away the fog because you can't see clear. And that's what sin does. And I've been there plenty of times. And so, climb the mountain. Climb the mountain. You're missing out on peace. You're carrying too much pain. Like the, like the hymn writer wrote, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what in, needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Guys, climb the mountain. What do I mean, climb the mountain? For me, personally, it's those times when I look in the mirror and I just, I look at myself and I say, that's it. It's done. You're not eating for a week. There you go. And that's, that's how simple it is for me. I need Jesus, so I'm going to fast. I don't tell anybody. I'm going to fast. I'm going to fast for three days. I'm going to fast for a week. I'm going to fast however long it takes. I'm not even going to put a day on it. And I know that I know that I know that I know through experience that the journey is going to lead me to Jesus, that he's, he's going to bring me the information that I don't even know I need, and he's going to bring revelation, and he's going to, just bring that declaration over my life of his promises and his truths. And, and I need a Jesus encounter again. And, and so I'm fasting. For me, that's what it means to climb the mountain. Because I'm not seeing your glory, Lord. There's junk coming out of my mouth. Negativity. Anger. I'm I'm uneasy. I'm stressed, I'm freaking out, I'm hurt, I'm pained, whatever it might be. Climb the mountain. Climb the mountain. Well, you know, just a little side note. God knows what you need. He knows. Peter, James, and John were led away three different times from the others. Why? I really don't know. I don't. But it's interesting that the three times that these three are taken aside by Jesus, it's all centered around death. Jairus' daughter, the, the ruler of the synagogue, his daughter died, and Jesus takes Peter, James, and John in and raises her from the dead. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Brought Peter, James, and John in a little closer. They saw his agony, sweating as it were, grape drops of blood. It was all centered around his death. And here, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah speaking of his death. Could it be that Peter, James, and John needed that extra encouragement as Jesus, if you will, pulled back the veil a little bit and said, there is glorification after death. I mean, why did Jesus do this? It wasn't that he was like, hey, guys, want to see a trick? Look what I can do. <laughs> no, they were asleep. 
And they saw his glory. And these guys, well, in their time of trial, in their time of death, maybe they needed that extra encouragement as it as, as history, church history tells us that James was sawn in two long ways. That Peter was crucified upside down. That 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 John was put in a cauldron of boiling oil. Guys, God knows what you need in your time of trial and testing. But you got to wake up and you got to climb the mountain so that you can get that just thing from the Lord that's going to that's going to be that that information, that revelation that's going to carry you through the rest of the year or the rest of your life. And you got you to gotta climb that, that mountain and seek him. Well, it also reveals that Jesus is superior than any other. So here's Peter. He wakes up. He sees his glory. And, and what does he say? As, as Moses and Elijah are about to depart, what does he say? Now, I'm not going to you know, rag on Peter because uh, uh, what would you say? If you saw Moses and Elijah in their glorified state and Jesus shining like the sun, wouldn't you say it's good that we are here? I would. Like, whoo! It's good that we're here. And it's believed that it was the month of Tishri, which is our October, which is the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. And and the Jews would make these little tabernacles and they'd bring the family out and sleep out under this little tabernacle and, you know, rehearse uh, the, the wilderness wanderings with their kids, you know, the cloud by day, the fire by night, the manna from heaven, Abraham's descendants are going to be like the stars. And so here's Peter, and he's looking at Moses, and you know, we're going to celebrate all the stuff that you went through in the wilderness, so let's forget Jerusalem, let's build three tabernacles here. But while he's saying these things, and it says that he didn't know what he was saying, Why does it say that? Well, he knew in part. He did say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, right? But he didn't fully, fully and completely understand what he needed to understand. That was going to come after the resurrection. So it's almost as if Peter's putting Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. And so now we come to our third point. Not only the information and the revelation, but the declaration. While Peter is saying these things, it says that, well, God literally interrupted him while he was speaking. And a cloud came. The cloud that represents God's presence. Remember the cloud in the temple, in the tabernacle? And God speaks. The declaration is, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. It's not so much about Moses, the law. It's not so much about 
Elijah, the prophets. It's my son now. Hear him. Hear him. Hebrews 1.1 says, God who in various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. So God spoke through creation. God spoke through angels. God spoke through people. God spoke through circumstances like uh, Gideon's fleece. God spoke in a lot of different ways and he spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us literally in son. It's in the present tense and the continuous tense, which means that it was something that was spoken in the past and it has effect for all time. In these last days, he has spoken to us in son. There is no more speaking. It's done. The scripture has been canonized. This is the word of God. Jesus has come. He's spoken. And yet in our personal life, there's things that we do need to hear from the Lord. And, And I pray that you would be able to hear the declaration of of God's promises over you and that you would hear him. How easy it is to hear the voices in our head. That's where the battle is, right? There's a battlefield up here. It's like World War III. It's crazy sometimes. It gets so nuts in here. You don't want to be in here. And I don't want to be in yours either. But I listen. I listen to just nothing. I make some judgment call about what some person's thinking about me, and they haven't even said anything, but I know that they're thinking this. And I already know. I just know. And and they hate my guts. Or they're thinking this, and I, I start thinking that, and then I get condemned. And then I... You know, then the enemy just throws fiery arrows and people say stupid things all the time, don't they? Like they're very sincere and they're just sincerely wrong. Or we're listening to the well-intentioned Christian friend that thinks they know the will of God for our life and they don't know what they're talking about. Or we're listening to the voice of just condemnation and guilt and pain or we're talking to ourselves, or we're screaming at the other person in our car out loud and we're using swear words and we're cussing because we're, our heart is just in a wrong place and we can't hear the Lord. Hear him. Hear him. Hear him. Hear him. Hear him. It's about him. The context, hear my son. It's all fulfilled in him. The law, the prophets, all of it. But on a personal note, climb the mountain if need be. Seek God. Maybe it's time for some of us to, well, fast. Fast and fast some more. And do it fast. So that you can receive that information, that revelation, that declaration from God. That you can receive the peace that you've been longing for. Direction. And all the things that God has in store for you. And that you would be able to see God's glory with your spouse, 
with your kids, with your coworkers in this place, and that they would glorify God for what they see in your life. And I pray that our countenance would just change as we seek God. There's really no other place than in his presence. And you are in his presence right now. And it can happen right now. You don't need to be on your knees. You don't have to have your hands folded. You don't have to be in your room. It's right now. We worship God in spirit and in truth. And I pray that your countenance would just even change. The hardness in your face would change. Your demeanor would change. Your perspective would change. And that you'd be able to walk out of this building changed, metamorphosized, transformed. Because Jesus is right here right now. Lord, we thank you for the transforming power that takes place in our life as we seek you with all of our hearts and you'll be found, you tell us. So Lord, if the flesh has just been too dominating, I pray that we would deny the flesh. Give us the strength to do it. Bless your people, Lord. If you're here and you don't know the Lord as your Lord and Savior, believe believe in Jesus. Take that good news. Take that information and, and just believe. Believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Confess him as Lord and you'll be saved. And for the rest of us, Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you're the answer. Help us to hear you above every voice. In Jesus' name, amen.